Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to talk about psychopaths, sociopaths, what's the difference? How can we all recognize these people, get them help, or just avoid being their latest victim? Dr. Mark Steitham is in the studio. He's a board-certified child, adult, and forensic psychiatrist, and he's going to help us all understand more about the mental health of the people we see every day. As always, you are part of this conversation, and you can join us at any time at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. I'd love to say, if you're a sociopath, call us, but I don't know, Mark. I don't think we're going to get a lot of calls saying that. But welcome back. I'm happy you're able to join us again. Yeah, it's good to be here back. Here on the show. So, yeah. you know, sometimes we hear about these things in the news and we just wonder, how can someone sleep with themselves if they like like scam scam adults and elderly and take money from from loved ones and how can they actually go to bed at night and not have nightmares. How how does that happen? And yet, it's not all that uncommon. No, it's not at all uncommon. Probably uh, maybe between 3 and 5% uh, of the population. Uh, no, Bernie Madoff, okay? Here's a perfect example of someone who ruined millions of lives. I mean, for this, again, uh, and he, he looks normal. Yeah, well, he Madoff, looks, he, he looked looks normal. normal. Yeah. He still didn't admit that what he did was horrible. No, but his son was so appalled he committed suicide. Very true. Um, but no, and um, uh, Hitler, another example. Uh, uh, and I would recommend to your, your uh, listeners um, uh, Hitler's Secretary, which is a documentary that came out while Hitler's Secretary was still alive and she was interviewed. It's fascinating. She was in the bunker with him at the end. And one of the things that really struck me and chillingly was she said, he didn't care a thing about people. I mean, he killed 14 million people in the concentration camps and unknown uh, 20 million people in Russia. I mean, the thing is that we that's so anti-human. I mean, we are born with this idea that, you know, to love our relatives mostly and then our friends and nation. I mean, we have this thing. And sociopaths, and we'll talk about that. It was originally called psychopath. uh, And then it went through sociopathic personality personality. uh, disorder, and now it's uh, antisocial personality. Uh, but we're talking about the same thing, which are people that are seem to be born without uh, or develop, rather, uh, no compunction, no, no morals. In other words, um, they're often charming, like the con man. Uh, but they, they, they. In some, it's interesting, uh, Kathy, because there's some biological evidence that they may be very low in um, serotonin, and so uh, the thing is that they have to like overstimulate themselves by killing serial murderers to get a high that you and I would get from a nice steak dinner. So, I mean, it doesn't excuse behavior like that, but there's an in, some interesting studies going on about that. So when we think about it having a biological basis, knowing what you know about psychiatry, do we think that, you know, they've done a lot of studies on people who have schizophrenia. We've talked about that before. And they now see that there may be some genetic risk factors. And if you have someone in your family who has this, right. you're more likely to right. develop it. Are we finding that with... Now we're calling it antisocial. Are we finding that with antisocial Absolutely. Absolutely. as well? So there may be yeah. truly a genetic component. Well, the other thing is that you can't take out. The thing is that most uh, uh, antisocial personalities are lower income. Uh, they are undereducated. And, of course, those two are unrelated. 
if you're a troubled kid and a juvenile delinquent and you get kicked out of school, you don't have a great deal of economic future. So, I mean, it's all this uh, high incidence of parents with sociopathy, with uh, uh, substance abuse, alcoholism. So, I mean, it's all this, you know, it's like, um, uh, as you know, synergy and your viewers, listeners probably do too. One plus one equals five. I mean, this stuff gets compounded. Do you think we would ever be able to do a screening test for it? Oh, wow. Well, one of the interesting uh, uh, criteria, a criterion, one of the uh, criteria, but I mean, a criterion of in the DSM-5 is this stuff has to show up before age 15. So tell us a little bit about what the DSM-5 yeah, is. Sure. This is something that you use all the time, and a lot of other folks may not realize that there sure. is actually a book that describes all of these different disorders. Right. Uh, the DSM stands for Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And uh, this is put out by the American Psychiatric Association, the APA. The first one came out in 1952, believe it or not. Uh, And this is the fifth edition. And basically, it's trying to refine and uh, the diagnostic cluster of symptoms that um, uh, make up psychiatric uh, conditions. We don't have blood tests. We don't have x-rays. So you have to look at, like, the history. And um, the thing is that I'll, I'll read this. First of all, you should understand we're, we're talking about personality disorder. Now, you and I both have personalities. We're both extroverts, so we wouldn't be on the radio, for example. Okay, we also have obsessive compulsive traits or we wouldn't get through med school. I mean, every lawyer and every doctor has to have some of it. Now, some of that is in the service of the ego. It helps you get through school. It helps your house get ordered. But if you're like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, washing your hands 40 times a day, because you move towards disorder exactly. from just it, a trait, like, exactly, a, like right. an aspect of your personality. It, exactly. It's different than when it affects your daily activities and your functioning. Then we talk to One somewhere. of the definitions is it has to interfere with both social or occupational spheres. Okay, And this is a persistent pattern. I don't mean that you study really hard to get through your finals or your uh, bar exam as a lawyer. This is something that defines you. Okay, So that's the personality disorder. Now, if we look at... Uh, sociopathic, and by the way, we're also going to blur into um, uh, narcissistic because there's a high over... Uh, the two are related. You yes, often two, see an uh, overlap in those two right. conditions. In, in so, fact, yeah, right. In fact, in fact, it's funny. It's because my, my grandmother uh, fulfilled uh, all nine, and you only need five with the criteria. So, I mean, my, my grandma was a piece of work, born in 1893. But, I mean, she had all of these. So that's the, we'll get to the narcissistic. But the sociopathic, hang on just a second if I can find it. Here we go. Um, uh, well, because I'm sorry, I, it's right here. I'm sorry. Okay, no, this is what this is something. The that, official definition this of the, the official American Psychiatric Association exactly. that has really just put out this cluster of defining features of which you don't need all of them, but you need some of them. Well, yes, and the thing is that again, it's not like an absolute thing. I mean, you have to look at the whole person. Okay, we are as I've talked on the show before, uh, we are biopsychosocial creatures, so you have to take the whole sphere, and so it's not just a simple like you've got tuberculosis. Okay, here we go. A pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15, as indicated by three or more of the following. Now, there's seven here. One, failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Two, deceitfulness 
as indicated by repeating lying, use of aliases, conning others for personal profit or pleasure. Three, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Four, irritability and aggressiveness as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Five, reckless disregard for safety of self or others. Six, consistent irresponsibility as indicated by a repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations, or in the military, obey orders. Seven, lack of remorse as indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. And you have to be at least 18 years of age. So in other words, our personalities are formed early from genetic environmental factors, but they don't manifest themselves till 18. But I'm curious, why do you think they have the criteria of of having some of these symptoms prior to the age of 15? Well, because usually uh, antisocial behavior after that is not due to a personality disorder, but due to things like substance abuse, where you start stealing for your habit, or alcoholism. In other words, it's secondary to this internal thing of not caring for anybody, like the, the mafia, or, uh, or Hitler, or what, what we're talking about. So in that situation, what you're describing is if somebody was 15 on an illegal substance, they may not meet the criteria if they are already addicted to something. But if they are not addicted to anything and they express – because the first thing that comes up is, you know, the FBI a few years ago developed a profile, a profile of a school shooter. Mm -hmm. And the school shooter was young, under 15. They expressed a lot of these same things that you're describing. And they sort of had this profile of who this could potentially be. Someone who was a social outcast, someone who, you know, may or may not show up at school, who may feel isolated, who may not behave appropriately or responsibly, often irritable. I mean, I just think to myself, wow, that sounds really familiar. What are some of the actions in addition to we talked about like Madoff and financial scams? What are some of the actions that these people might do? Would would they fit the criteria of a school shooter like the kid in Connecticut, Sandy Hook, who goes in and he just like shoots up a bunch of people and well, and I think I, I don't think. Look, all sociopaths, or I'm sorry, yeah, any social personality uh, people are not serial shooters. Obviously, I mean, are there a lot, a lot of serial shooters that are not antisocial? Um, that's a real good question. Uh, and the thing is that I think it's hard to know because they might be dead by the time uh, they exactly. It out. And you they, and rarely have they had a psychiatric exam before that. But if no, so I, I would have hoped they would have uh, been stopped. But you never know, right? No, no, you never know. Uh, but the thing is that I think that the um, uh, the the shooters have uh, they could have other. Uh, uh, diagnoses. For example, narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, the people who want to be get fame, they want or notoriety, I should say, not fame, because they haven't done anything worthwhile. But they get their name out there. I mean, there's a whole uh, uh, debate in the press where do you publicize these people? Do you give them encourage others? You know, the copycat killers, like in Plano, Texas. So you know, this might be a good time to to read the criteria for the narcissistic personality. Now we're going to see a lot of this, a uh, lot of similarities, exactly. And you know, given the current campaign season, I know we can't talk. We politics. are not talking politics. We are not, today, but Mark. but no, I know. But maybe we, the reader can or the listener can uh, read into this <laughs> a pervasive pattern of grandiosity. Need for admiration and lack of empathy, beginning by early childhood and present in at least five of the following nine, okay? Has a grandiose sense of self-importance. 
exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievement. Two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by and should associate with other special or high-status people. Four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement, which is an unreasonable expectation of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with any expectation. Six, is interpersonally exploitative, takes advantage of others to achieve his own ends. Seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with others. Eight, is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. And nine, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. So only five of those, and that's a personality disorder of narcissism. So, all right, we're going to talk with Sachi from Kailua Kona first, and then I've got some questions about the need to to put a label on these diagnoses and what do we do with that as far as how do we how do we take it further as far as treatment and or therapy, et cetera. So let's first talk with Sachi from Kailua Kona. Sachi, welcome to The Body Show. Hi there. I've got two questions. Uh, my, first of all, my brother is an airline pilot, and they have a test that they use um, basically to weed these people out, and it apparently works pretty well. Um, my brother was telling me about it. Um, I wanted to find out if you knew about the test. And the second thing was, um, oh, uh, there was a there was a study done in a prison where um, they uh, had the people that were the worst criminals meditate, and um, uh, they said that the frontal cortex is a real important part of sociopaths. They don't use it very much, and that their only their absolutely only goal is money. That that that's their only goal. And I just wanted to find out if that was true. And I'll take my answers off the air. All right. Okay. Great question, Sachi. First of all, I'm curious because that's one of the things that I was kind of wondering. Can you screen for it? So, you know, the airline industry obviously has has a lot of things that they want to do to make sure pilots are fit to fly a plane. And given what happened with the German Wings plane, I think a couple of years ago, you want to make sure that somebody is psychiatrically well enough to get behind the wings of a plane or the engine or sure. whatever you would call it. Is there a test to weed some of these folks out Well, in any industry? Uh, Kathy, the thing is that... Um, they could lie. Again, That's one of the features, it, well, right? Uh, absolutely. The thing is that also, uh, and we'll get to treatment later, and we got problems with motivation there, but uh, as for screening, the thing is that we don't have blood tests. We don't have x-rays. So we do have psychometric testing. Uh, there's one that's older than I am called the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, uh, and it's the MMPI, and it's sort of the gold standard. It's been given to tens of millions of people. It's about a 500-question test, and it has a great deal of inward uh, validity. In other words, they, they know when people are faking. Uh, there's a lot of fake scales in it. So that is probably what uh, our listener uh, and caller was referring to. Uh, it can show stuff like that. Also, the MCMI, the Milan uh, Clinical, uh, I forget what the other one is, but the MCMI is good for personality traits and stuff like that. Could anybody just go take an MMPI? Uh, well, sure. I mean, you could go online. 
Uh, no, no. It costs money. <laughs> okay, so you would have to do – does it have to be administered by someone? Yes. Like, you know, sometimes they have these things like the Colby learning style, conative style, or whatever it is. So you can do an evaluation online yeah, and you get this no. immediate feedback and it says, here you go. No, the but MMPI, you would not be able to MMPI your, yourself. Uh, no, you would have to be administered by someone and then it has to be interpreted by a psychometrician. Uh, okay, so it's not like you could like just – Put your results online and suddenly you're told you're no. normal or you're no. definitely not. No. <laughs> okay. So an MMPI might be something administered to potential pilots that might be what Sachi's referring to. Right. And if there were some issues, it may weed those out. Because it's been given to millions of people, it's validated and there's a lot of potential conclusions that you can look at scientifically with evidence from millions of other tests showing, yes, this Yes. What I think would happen is that all of the pilots probably had to take that one. Uh, maybe others, certainly. There's um, a lot of instruments out there. Uh, and then if there was a red flag, then they'd get interviewed by a psychiatrist or a psychologist. What was her second question? The second question was another interesting one. It had to do with, you know, looking at the frontal cortex. And oh, if yeah. you don't use it a lot, that has been associated with people who have these disorders, this antisocial disorder. Well, that's very interesting. It's kind of interesting. Well, it, it is because there's no indication that uh, – Antisocial personality is less than normal intelligence. In fact, some of them are very smart. Uh, Conmen are very good that way. So I don't think it's got to do too much with the uh, frontal cortex. But I think, you know, there's that old, I remember seeing the picture, the guy who was like working on the railroad years ago and like some railroad stake went through his frontal lobe and he yes, survived. Right. And they said, what did it happen to his personality afterwards? And they sort of described how suddenly he didn't have that frontal lobe inhibition center. So yeah. he just right. said whatever he wanted, did whatever he wanted, was aggressive and angry. And so I think from that they may have surmised that damage to the frontal lobe could cause you to have some of these personality traits. Have we determined that the person with the personality traits may inherently therefore have damage to the frontal lobe? I don't know if scientifically we have. No, I don't think we have. There may be underdevelopment of that. Okay. But again, it's like memory. Like memory is spread throughout the brain. We okay. think it's in the hippocampus, but it's actually in a lot of different yeah, places. Temporal, right, exactly. Yeah. Same thing with like, now we do know speech, for example, Broca's area, sure. as you remember, from on the left side of the brain. So if you have a lesion in the left side of the brain, you may not speak. Or the occipital cortex in the back of the head is visual. Sure. So you can go blind if you get hit in the back of your head. So, but I don't think that uh, uh, we, we, the neuro, uh, neurology of this is down to the point where, okay, we've we located the antisocial area. area. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing that she said is the goal is always money. No, that's not true either. Uh, the goal is often power uh, or, or uh, perhaps uh, sex. Prestige or, or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, in other words, it's basically to obtain something from someone else. I mean, we all do Through that every any means whatsoever. E exactly. Okay. And, and the thing is that the idea of entitlement is very important. Uh, we see that a lot. Uh, I should get this because I am special. Sure. It's one thing to say to your grandma, can I have money? It's another thing to kill her and steal her purse. That's obviously a completely <laughs> different scenario. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Steitham. And we are talking today about personality disorders, in particular, antisocial personality and how 
how that could affect people that you may come in contact with and what you might need to do to be able to identify it, protect yourself, and maybe help them find some treatment. Now, as always, you are part of our conversation. And if you have a comment, a question, maybe you have a friend or family member who was diagnosed with this, and you want to know what you could do to help, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Hello, Michael Titterton here, wondering if you're going to be the one to win a couple of round-trip tickets to any one of Alaska Airlines' 100-plus destinations. Of course, you won't be if you don't enter our Radio Files Mystery Message Contest, which begins this Wednesday morning during Challenge 2016. Details and an entry form are just a click away at hawaiipublicradio.org. And don't forget, the sooner this drive is over with, the sooner someone wins. So... Good luck. When playwright Sarah Burgess started writing her play about private equity firms, it was like learning a new language. I think I was really drawn to the challenge of writing about a world that I'm not inside, but trying to sort of at least to some degree in a simplified form mimic the way they might talk to each other when there's not an outsider present. I'm Adrian Hill, a play about finance that's also a comedy. That's next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, right after The Body Show. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with board-certified adult child and forensic psychiatrist Dr. Mark Steitham. And we're here talking about personality disorders, and we're talking in particular about antisocial personality. What does this have to do with psychopaths and sociopaths, and how can we identify these folks and possibly even help some folks who might have family members dealing with this and help figure out what they can do to, to help their loved one not have to suffer any further Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about some questions regarding, is there a test? Can you do some sort of personal investigation to figure out if you have this particular problem? We talked about a test called the MMPI, Minnesota Multiple, what is it? Multiphasic Personality personality. I'm like, multiple personality No, multiphasic. Multiphasic. So you're talking about how that's something that's administered to you. You can't just Google it and do it yourself. No. And how that has to be read by a professional. But a lot of times we can identify some of these disorders in those folks. I want to talk quickly with John from Hawaii Kai and uh, see what he has to say about this. And then we're going to talk a little more about how do we identify these folks. So, John, welcome to The Body Show. Well, thank you. I enjoy your show. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank Um, you. I'm curious. You were talking about uh, quest for power, quest for money when it comes to uh, sociopathic-type personalities. Yep. I'm just wondering... You know, what is the correlation between, like, ascending to a CEO position or, or like, a senator or a congressman, you know, in relation to sociopathic disorders? Because I've heard people like Tom Hartman mention this, that, you know, he feels that a sociopathic-type disorder might actually favor an individual to ascend the ladder of the business world or to ascend the, the ladder of the political world, and that he feels a lot of people in upper management, in CEO positions, in uh, in political positions, are sociopaths. And, and personally, I think that Trump and Cruz and Hillary Clinton are all sociopaths. Well, you, you know, know and, uh, 
Uh, what, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question, John, because I think it almost gets back to like the chicken or the egg phenomena. You know, does yeah. becoming someone in power make you start to exhibit certain personality or character traits or do certain personality or character traits make you more likely to ascend into power? So it's a really interesting question that I think, you know, lends itself to to taking away from the political part, but just saying in general, people who ascend to this level of power does their personality help them or does it change? And I'm curious, you know, you know, Dr. Mark, when we think about personality, it's actually set by yeah. a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. So could I, like, if I was just, you know, just a certain type of personality and then I was ascending to the throne of some sort of CEO position, could that change my personality? No. Could it change my actions? No. I see. I do a lot of uh, forensic examinations. And explain what forensic is, because okay, a lot of people think that means you know. It means Quincy, yes. Uh, forensic okay. pathologist. Okay, forensic medicine basically is the interaction between medicine and the law. So you can have forensic pathologists, forensic psychiatrists, forensic ophthalmologists, for that matter. But I see a lot of patients uh, and claimants and plaintiffs, uh, and often uh, they're saying, you know, the uh, workplace, I had an accident or something like that, and that changed my personality. No. The thing is that your personality is formed by your genes and by your early experiences. I mean, let's say you were beaten by your father every day. I mean, that's going to affect your personality. So the thing is that you and I, for example, uh, are comfortable on, on the radio. We are not going to turn into introverts, okay? We're extroverts, okay? That's just one of our personality traits. So, so no, it doesn't. And, and to answer our, our caller's question, the thing is that certainly there are uh, undoubtedly mild degrees, I think, of antisocial personality among CEOs. But I think the overwhelming trait is really one of narcissism. We've talked about that. You've got to believe in yourself and to drive yourself uh, that way. And not everybody has to be ruthless, I mean, to get to the top, but you've got to be pretty tough cookie to, uh, you know, to get up there the $12 million, you know, salary range. I mean, they're not just handing it out. So you might have to have a certain type of personality to ascend to that, yes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a pathologic no, one. No, no, no. Okay. But, does does that okay. help, John? Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Mark. You guys have a great day. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you. That's a really good question, though, because I think, you know, sometimes we wonder, and I look at people who tend to have a more empathetic demeanor. I look at Oprah. She is the CEO of her own mm-hmm. Harpo and the whole yeah, yeah. Oprah Winfrey Network, etc. And it seems like she exhibits a lot of empathy, compassion, and truly wants to help other people that work for her, that work with her, that are part of her new mission to have this whole network and help people find well, you know, you, soul and peace, audience, you might get a car. Uh, well, but, now that was just one time. Okay. Well, but, anyway, but how about this? Now, let's talk about narcissism. Okay. This woman has her own magazine, and she puts herself on the cover every month. Now, couldn't you just put somebody else on once? I mean, I'm not against, I'm not anything against, I never met the lady. But I'm just trying to say, is that, that to me, that's the height of narcissism, is that you have your own magazine, you put your picture on every month. Well, true. Could it? Would that be a disorder, or would that be just a personality? Oh, it's a trait. trait. It's okay. A trait, so the difference would be that she can still function socially, <laughs> still function. She'll be worth one point three mil- in billion her, yes, in yes, her yes. workplace, also in her world. So that it's a personality trait. Yes. So you could have a personality trait of being narcissistic, sure. but that wouldn't necessarily be a disorder unless you did so to the to the extent of 
eliminating every other competi- competition and not right. caring. Right. So there is a degree of, of it's exhibition all a of it. It's all a spectrum. Okay. All right. Yeah. We've got Shelly in the line from Hilo. Shelly, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Uh, my question is, what responsibility do those in the medical profession, particularly in mental health, have to protect the public from a particular a political figure who could be a menace to society? I'm thinking about, you know, someone like Hitler or Stalin. Or what responsibility do you feel for that? That's that's an excellent question, Shelley, because, you know, the other thing that came up is we, we referenced it just briefly with the German wings crash is, you know, here was a pilot, a young pilot who had seen multiple mental health professionals and their own primary care doctor prior to flying a plane into the Alps. And so the real question that, that, that I, I often wonder is, what is the responsibility of physicians if you have a fear that someone is going to do something untoward to themselves, to society? to their loved ones or to the public. And it doesn't usually happen in my office. I mean, just in the sense that like what I would often see patients for, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, probably not something that's going to imminently hurt other people. But I remember when HIV first came out, there were some issues where if you knew someone was intentionally going to infect their spouse, that was something where there are certain rules where you can violate confidentiality if you think someone is going to be injured put in a direct threat and or harmed. So from like the primary care perspective, if I knew that an HIV positive patient was going to go out and infect a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or loved one, there is a duty that I have to that loved one to warn them if I am certain and positive that they've made a threat they're going to act upon. But that would be like a unique medical situation. Mark, this has got to be something that's probably more in your profession with some more specific rules and guidelines. What are they? Well, there's a famous Tarasoft of the California Supreme Court. Now, this goes back 30 years. Uh, Tarasov was uh, a guy who terrorized and stalked this young girl, and he told his therapist about this, uh, and he went and killed her. Uh, and so the, the, what it all went through, a whole thing, which is that you have a duty to protect uh, it's been misinterpreted duty to warn, but certainly uh, you confidentiality is violated when someone comes in and says, I'm going to kill Kathy Kozak. Not like I'm feeling homicidal. I mean, you've got to be specific. But the thing is that uh, – uh, so it's very, very hard because uh, one guy, I think in North Carolina, a psychiatrist, uh, somebody killed somebody six months after he left their practice. I mean, he was no longer under their care. And he was successfully sued. Like, you should have seen this. Now, we cannot foresee uh, dangerousness, okay? Nobody can do that. You can see if a guy that's got uh, fantasies of killing people, like the Columbine kids and something like if somebody had been there and they're stocking up ammo and stuff like that, okay. But unless someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to go to the theater on Batman and I'm going to kill all these people. So, I mean, I think it's very, very limited. I mean, could someone have stopped Hitler? Uh, you know, he came at the right time. The Weimar Republic, superinflation. The pe- uh, the Germans felt humiliated after World War One. He was a great demagogue. He a great speaker. Uh, you know, and 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 passionate. And people responded with their emotions. And then they, you know, they went that way. Uh, he was a product of his time. I'm not saying, but I mean, I don't know if anybody in the mental health field could have stopped Hitler. So, if you're in a situation where 
somebody gives a direct threat and a mechanism of action. I'm going to do the following to so-and-so, and and this is how I'm going to do it, and this is when I'm going to do it. It's similar to a suicidal threat. If somebody expresses to you in your practice, I am going to commit suicide on this day, here's how I'm going to do it, there may be a duty to try and protect them from doing so, either committing them to a hospital if need be. Or or certainly warning the authorities. Warning authorities. Now, now what Shelley was referring to – uh, harkens back to uh, Goldwater. I don't know if you remember this, but in 1964, there was a lot of talk about whether Goldwater was fit to uh, be president. Uh, his slogan was, in your heart, you know he's right, and, and the opposition said, in your gut, you know he's nuts. And the, uh, I know. Uh, and Can't say I remember that, com- thank you. Yes, a company, no, a magazine that is no longer um, in, in print. I forget the name of it, Spectator or something. Anyway, they actually put a poll out to American psychiatrists about whether he was fit or not. And about 180 actually stupidly responded and said that he wasn't fit. So actually after this, the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, said it's unethical to give uh, diagnoses, certainly, about someone you've never even examined. Sure, exactly. exactly. So so when you, you know, Shelley, the answer is that it's very little we can do. I mean, you you can write letters to the editor, uh, but it's wrong to say, okay, uh, John Doe, president, uh, candidate for president, is, uh, is crazy or is unfit. Because unless you are their certified personal physician, yeah. you really don't have a standing to be able to say something mm-hmm. like that. Right. All right. We've got Marcos on the line from Maui. Marcos, welcome to The Body Show. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I had a question for Mark in regards to, um, I guess, even in this show, why is it that, that that we're using the term psychopath and sociopath to to something that is just labeled an antisocial personality disorder? That's a really good question. How did the evolution of the name go from psychopath, sociopath to antisocial? Great question. And I am so going to defer that to you, Dr. Statham, because that is your area of expertise. <laughs> well, if you want to go historically, sure. Uh, let's see. Can I have this? Okay. Um, a man named Pritchard in 1835 in a monograph, a treatise on insanity and other disorders affecting the mind, is often cited as furnishing the first description of what was now called antisocial or sociopathic personality. He put it under the label moral insanity. Okay? Uh, so, so basically, it's the same way that many um, uh, terms have, have been interused. I mean... Uh, the thing that we now know is post-traumatic stress disorder. In the Civil War, it was called soldier's heart uh, or neurasthenia, uh, combat fatigue in World War II. I mean, it's the same animal, okay, or the same We just disorder. named it something differently. Exactly, right. So I don't think there's I, – I think that the idea of uh, psychopath – I think antisocial personality is the best term. No, but what I, what I mean in, in terms of – this is, this is one of the one of the, I guess, big differences that people like to throw these, these terms around very fluently and, and like they actually know what they, the, the true significance behind it. But like you were saying, that that if somebody is were to be, to have antisocial personality disorder, this is basically people that are institutionalized or, or, or basically there are people out there that, that, that have this sort of well, Marcos, if, sure, if you're asking, are there people out in the community who have this kind of condition? 
Yeah, that's that's the scary part is, you know, when you hear about some of these scams, whether they be the Bernie Madoff, whether they be, you know, somebody in Hawaii who is scamming the elderly and taking all their money and having, you know, no no sort of thought that what they're doing is immoral or feeling like they deserve it, then, yeah, there's people out there that have this personality. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. So, Mark, let's shift gears for a moment and talk about how can we in our daily lives recognize who these people might be? It's about three to five percent of the population you mentioned. So we're bound to come in contact with someone with these traits at some point in our life. What are the recognition signs? And if we see them, the next question is going to be, what do we do about it? Can you help them if they don't feel they need help? If there's someone in your family who, who may be exhibiting some of these traits. So how could I recognize my neighborhood antisocial behavior person scammer well i mean i i had a guy come over and and, uh uh oh this is 20 years ago uh and he said oh i'm in the neighborhood and uh you know i'm doing some roofs and because i'm in the neighborhood and don't have to shift my trucks around i'll do your roof for xyz amount you know low amount i go really well how about some uh some references and uh you know he he hit the door I mean, he was a scammer. So people, first of all, that do cold calls on you, not all cold calls are scammers, of course. But I'm trying to say is that someone who, uh, you know, uh, you, you want to go to Better Business Bureau and, and, and check out anybody. Um, uh, uh, so so I think recognize if it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. It is. I mean, we had this guy uh, who is our Madoff here. I forget his name now. Ron Rewald. Do you remember him? No, oh, my it. gosh. Is that before your time? It might have the been. 1980s. Well, Ron Rewald. Before we were, my time. Okay. Ron Rewald and every, a lot of my our listeners will, will know this. Uh, he came to town and was a mini Madoff. I mean, he, he still owed millions from people. But again, uh, a Ponzi scheme where he took from the old and paid off uh, – or took from the new and paid off the old. And, you know, that the typical Ponzi scheme, which goes back to the 1920s. Uh, but your second half of your question, Kathy, was how do you uh, treat them? Uh, the thing is that uh, any psychiatric uh, – first of all, personality disorders are kind of um, tough to treat. Uh, they are set in, you know, you know, sort of early in life and especially when you don't have the motivation to change. I mean, if you're depressed, most people – I don't like this state. I don't like this one. I want to go to a doctor. I want to get better. I might take meds. I might go to, to, to psychotherapy. But if you're a sociopath, you're liking it unless you end up in jail and things like that. Now, sometimes they burn out. Like uh, we talked in the last time I was on the show decades ago, uh, was we talked about uh, uh, borderline personality. And how often they burn out in the uh, uh, 40s, particularly with women who are mostly the borderline, because they become less sexually attractive and they can't use sex as a currency to try to get going with that. But now you brought up a good question, which is family members. Okay, now I've dealt with a lot of patients and their families who've got a member with antisocial traits. The main thing, do not lend them money. Do not condone them. Do not help them. Okay, I mean, or if you do, put them, give the money to the mortgage company. Do not give it to them directly. Because the anticipation is that they're saying, I need money for my mortgage, and they're really using it for something else. Drugs or whatever, right. I mean, it kind of gets back to, to Sachi's question, which is, is their goal just money? It may not just no, be money, no, no. but if they come to you, that might be one of the things they're asking Absolutely. for. Absolutely. And so they may take that money and 
use it in some untoward fashion, but then it's not really going to go towards what they say it is. Right. Exactly. Okay. I mean, the thing is that we've all, look, in this life, we've all come across takers and givers. Okay. And I mean, uh, you've had your heart broken, I'm sure, and I have. The thing is that there are people that uh, are antisocial in love. In other words, you know, the, the, the henpecked husband or the browbeaten wife or the, the, the thing is where it's an unequal relationship where you're giving something and someone's taking you and go, well, that's all I deserve. You know, I mean, I deserve this bad treatment. But there's a difference between having a personality trait and having a disorder. Yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Mark Steitham, and we are talking about personality disorders, in particular antisocial personality. What are those traits? And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about what can you do to help someone or to help yourself if you're in a situation where you become victim to one of these individuals, and how can you protect yourself so that it doesn't happen again? As always, our conversation is your conversation, and this is your chance to ask an expert. And if you would like to, you can join us us at 941-3689 on Oahu. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Historian David McCullough thinks every American needs to get out more. I think traveling makes one a better patriot. There's an old saying, when you travel abroad, the country that you learn the most about is your own. Hilary Brett's favorite place to visit is Madagascar. The landscape, the people, and the wildlife are different from anywhere else in the world. Then find out what's new this year in Edinburgh on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Hola, this is Sandy Tsukiyama, inviting you to join me Saturdays from 4 to 6 as we share music, news updates, visits with special guests, and perhaps even some Portuguese language on Brazilian Experience on HPR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my friend, psychiatrist, Dr. Mark Steitham. He is a board-certified child, adult, and forensic psychiatrist. Weren't you the previous president of the Hawaii chapter of the American yes. Psychiatric Association? Yeah, yeah. many yeah, moons ago. So. Yeah. Many years ago. All yeah. right. Well, and we are talking today about antisocial personality and what does this mean and how can you help protect yourself and or your loved ones from coming in contact with someone like this. And if you do, can you do anything to help them? As always, our discussion is yours. We're having a group discussion here, and you can be part of it. We've heard from a few callers uh, already. Maui, we heard from Hilo. We have heard from Hawaii Kai and uh, Kailua Kona. So if you want to join us, you can on Oahu at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Mark, we talked about, you know, who could this person be? It could be the person who's trying to, you know, ask you for money, scam you for money, whatever the case may be. If you have someone in your family who has these traits, you said, don't give them money, give it to the mortgage company as an example. Earlier in the show, we talked about some of the evidence showing that there might be a decrease in serotonin. When people with these conditions are treated, 
Is it something as simple as just giving them a medicine to increase serotonin? No. no. And if so, what can be done? Is this a lifelong condition for which once they have been told you are a narcissist or you are an antisocial behavior situation, can they ever change themselves if it's part of their personality? Well, again, changing personality is real tough. Um, uh, And the thing is, first of all, there is no specific psychotropic medication for antisocial personality. Um, um, There are, you know, again, motivation is everything. Uh, If you're... uh, your obsessive compulsive disorder is causing you to wash your hands and your hands are breaking out and rashes uh, or cracked skin uh, and you see that as harmful, you can go in and and work with that because it's what we call ego dystonic. We don't like it. But ego syntonic is, hey, I just scammed a million people out of $10 million, you know, and uh, until the police arrived, what happens is, I mean, 50% probably of criminals uh, or people in jail have antisocial personality, okay? they, they uh, We're not talking about the people, you know, the one-time drug user. We're talking about, talking the, about hardened the, criminals. Yeah, hardened criminals. the hardened criminals. When it's gotten to be a disorder. So because they're getting that positive feedback, they may not see that this is something that they've done yeah, wrong. That's right. So how do they respond when we incarcerate them for X number of years? However, when they get out, if they really haven't changed, they're well, going to do it again? Yeah. I mean, the thing is that basically the, the, the therapy would be a very practical one of saying, uh, this is not working for you, okay? Uh, you're not so smart that you weren't caught. You just served uh, 30 years in, in prison. I mean, do you want to change it? But but I, I'm saying it's just, and I hate to be kind of pessimistic because there's a lot of things in psychiatry uh, that we can help with the last 50 years. I mean, depression, uh, schizophrenia, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorders. But I said the personality disorders are very recalcitrant to change. And part of that is, as you mentioned earlier, your personality is determined at a very young age, not just from genetics, but also from your environment. That's and right. You can't necessarily change your genetics, nor can you change the environment no, in which you, you grew up on. Exactly. You are what, what happened. Now, now, it's interesting because we see a lot of kids from the ghetto and stuff that are like survivors, you know, and they get up and they, and they do really Wonderful well. Wonderful things, sure. Yes, because, and that goes to the strength of the human being that 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 there is that thing to survive and to do well and to prosper, uh, but we also see, of course, uh, that like for example, child abusers tend to be uh, have been abused as, as as children. I mean, in other words, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. All right, we've got a couple of callers on the line. We have Caroline calling from Hawaii Island. Caroline, welcome to the Body Show. Hi, thank you. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to. In the beginning, you're talking about sociopathic, and he was going to be talking about narcissism. And um, I happen to believe that I come from a family of some of them are both, and some of them are just narcissists. But what they all have in common, and I think um, people can learn from this, is they have no empathy for others. They um, tend to be what need to be in control, and if they are in control, they're fine. And that's like a you know a lot of politicians and CEOs. Um, they're very manipulative, and they consider themselves above the law. Special. They yes. have like no moral values, and so, if you catch them in a lie, they flip out. So, Carolyn, how have you survived? <laughs> 
having family members who well, you've identified are like that, I, do you I just avoid just them? What do you do? I've analyzed this in the last two years because okay. my father has passed away, and my sister is a more powerful my father and her husband. They're both, um, they are narcissists. Um, I don't know of anything really pathological that they did. I know that my dad did things when he was a child that are definitely sociopathic. Um, but he, he was, you know, wealthy, and he was in control, so he wasn't a problem unless you crossed him and caught him in something. And my sister is exactly the same way, and they have taken over. My sister became his DPOA, and he was not competent enough to understand that she became his DPOA two years before he died, and she started moving everything. And that DPOA, the durable power of attorney, so it gave her the legal right to be saying do things everything. and doing things on his behalf, both yes. financially and otherwise. Okay. Yes. Just wanted to clarify. Ways. She's co-everything yep. okay. on his estate. And, um, you know, these are people that probably have offshore um, investments and what they set aside is the non-estate taxable trust. And I'm only a beneficiary of that, and at that, only a residual beneficiary of that. So you've witnessed this in your own family oh, yeah. as being the victim oh, yeah. of all of this. And I'm curious, Dr. Dr. Statham, could Carolyn do anything about it? I mean, she's identified... No that her sister is acting under this behavior. She has no empathy. She's in control. She's manipulative. She's above the law. All I do is correct her. Like when she tells me they're coming for their guns, I just say, well, give me a call when they do. (laughs) They're coming for their guns. Who's coming for the guns? Them. You have guns? No, I don't have any guns. Okay, so this is a paranoid statement. NRA supporters. I see what you're saying. They're racist. Well, you know, you name it. That's what they are. I get what you're saying. Okay, um, I misunderstood that. Sure. My mother did not, and when the time my father was widowed, my sister moved right in and started manipulating his entire life. Well, the thing is, this is going to be a legal thing. I mean, do you have... Uh, well, no, I'm not going to get anywhere. Well, um, not necessarily. Get yourself a good lawyer. Yeah, well, I've, I've had... Um, the one that I have now is supposed to be a good lawyer. But, you know, the people with the money win. And despite the fact that I know that they have um, probably usurped my identity in some legal matters, and they have definitely um, cybercrimed me, and they probably do other cybercrimes. But I can never get to the bottom of that. And well, I was trying to just, I mean, I've broken off with them. They're not my family anymore. And, you know, Carolyn, I think that's the most important thing that you've said, which is your way to handle that situation is to extricate yourself from the from the problem and learn how to live your own peaceful existence and hopefully have minimal interactions with them as, if possible. And I think, you know, Mark, you were saying that earlier, that if you have someone in your family who asks you for money, say no, give it to the mortgage company. But it sounds like if it starts to 
to affect you personally, oh, yeah. then the best thing that you should do is get out of that situation to the best of your ability. Absolutely. Life's too short. The thing is that you are like by birth, you know, hooked with them uh, and, and think that they're not going to change, you know, like logic. And she was talking about catching them in lies and stuff like that, uh, the, the listener. But I said, uh, to what end? I mean, sure. yeah. So, and it sounds like she's got, the, like you say, the DPOA, and she's got the, all the cards. And so, best yeah, thing yeah, to do is walk right. away and say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm happier yeah, right. in my own existence, and That's right. let me stay away from them as much as possible. Which might be the best advice if you encounter someone like this in your family is to say, you know what? If I've if I've walked that road with them and it starts to affect me personally. I need to protect myself. Yeah, you know, it's self protection as well. All right, we have absolutely. Art on the line from Makiki. Art, welcome to the Body Show. Hi. Hello Hi, there. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you great. What can we do for you? You know, regarding this, uh, the validity of this MMPI test, uh, what happens when the person interpreting the data is biased? For example, uh, most of these tests requested by insurance companies, and many times you see the same psychologist or whoever applying the test, and of course it always comes out that, that the person examined is a liar, or has a tendency to lie. So what happens, uh, I mean, some of these uh, interpreters are, are, are being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by the insurance industry, and they, they, it's clear that they consistently find that people are, are that they examine when they're hired by the insurance company uh, are, are liars or have a tendency to lie. Well, you've brought up something, Art, that I wasn't aware of. So let's clarify what the MMPI is, Dr. Steitham, and tell me who generally has this administered because I'm naive enough, Art, to not know why an insurance company would be administering it because I'm wondering under what circumstances would someone get and MMPI. Okay. Uh, well, no, uh, he's right that this is often given in like no fault insurance cases, uh, basically, or workers' comp uh, really? psychiatric uh, claims. No, people say, look, uh, the the boss uh, demoted me or something, and I've got depression, and and I'm like, uh, this is an industrial psychiatric uh, injury. Okay. Uh, but I have to disagree with him. I've done over 3,000 uh, IMEs in the past 30 years. IME, the uh, independent medical exam, exams, right. which in your case, being in the psychiatric profession, it would be maybe an MMPI. Well, no, that would be, might be part of it. I'm that would be part, part of it. Okay. But I have seen stuff that has validated the person's claims that have said that uh, they are truly depressed, they are truly anxious. So I think that – but there are a lot of people that are – uh, um, uh, making false claims. So, I mean, I just think when he says this always comes out that way. It doesn't uh, always in your experience. It do- and, and the thing is that the profile is generated by a computer, and that can go to someone, let's say they think, okay, you're biased, uh, psychologist A, so I'm going to have my psychologist B read it, and, and though they, you know, you can't mess with the data. So if you answer these 500 questions, yeah. those answers to those questions could be made available to another Absolutely. mental raw health data. professional. Absolutely. Raw data. They call it the raw data. And yeah. then the other person interprets the data. Absolutely. So based on how you learn to interpret it, it should be right. very there similar if consistency. not the same. Right, right. So if you were having this done under some sort of insurance purpose and you had some discrepancy in what this – what the – person hired by the insurance had found with the data, right. you could have the raw data interpreted by someone Absolutely. else. Absolutely. 
so that it never really is a finite answer. You have to have the same person. Well, not only that, it, but the, the psych testing is also not, it's like a blood test. If you, if you had somebody with a high blood uh, glucose, you'd probably repeat it. Right. So in other words, I mean, it's just a test. And there's the exam. There's the records. Look at their personnel records. Okay, they've had uh, 10 years of absenteeism. I mean, there's all kinds of factors that go into the the And in your case, it would go in. It's it's a lot more difficult. You know, in my case, either your sugar's high or not. You know, you do a blood test or you check a blood pressure. It's it's pretty finite. Either your cholesterol is high or your cholesterol is not. So it's a lot easier for me to do a medical evaluation that's based on laboratory studies than it would be for you to do a psychological or psychiatric evaluation that has all these different facets because it's not like a blood test. You can't just get an easy answer. And I also want to just make the point, uh, Kathy, that in the forensic area, Okay, the psychiatrist or the or the internist or whatever is one piece of the puzzle, and not his the opinion, only piece. right? And it's more likely than not in reasonable medical probability. We don't have the final word. The Department of Labor has the final word. That's a very important fact. We, do, in fact, we can talk about impairment. They determine disability. That's a legal term. So our. Our recommendations or our findings in the medical profession are part of an overall evaluation. Exactly. Exactly. It's not the only thing. That's right. Okay. And if there's a question, you could have another person look at the same data. Yeah. I mean, these days in the the medical world, if somebody wants a copy of their laboratory studies, I'm delighted. Here, please have a copy. If you have a family member who's in medicine or you have an auntie who wants to see your results, go for it. I mean, electronically, you can obtain these records quite easily with most medical centers having patient portal access to right. all their labs. I encourage people to look at them. Um, so, so there is a way that you can, you can take a look at that. In the psychological or psychiatric world, you would just have to have another professional look at that. Sure. Okay. That's disputes it. Yeah. So if you can't treat the person who has the antisocial behavior, or basically maybe you can, can you treat them? You said motivation is the issue. Is there anything like, let's just pretend Caroline got her, found her sister somehow, some help, and her sister said, okay, I agree, I have this problem, I need help. What would you do? Well, I think that uh, they'd have to go into, uh, be motivated, and go into intensive psychotherapy to feel that, uh, do I want to change this? In other words, my way of reacting. I mean, in the U.S., it's been punitive. I watched 60 Minutes last night, and they uh, there was it Germany. Yeah, Germany has this thing where uh, murderers have access to their cells, and it's very much more rehabilitation. It's not about a punishment. Here we feel that punishment is that, okay, uh, antisocial personality, uh, John Doe, you, you may not change, but we're going to put you away. So the thing is that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the German way, I mean, they, they, I'm sure there's some people that slip through the, you know, that take advantage of the system there. So, you know, there's no simple answer. So there really isn't an easy way to, no. to treat this no. condition unless the person you said is motivated a lot of psychotherapy. But if a family member that you come in contact with starts to exhibit these traits and it starts to affect you, someone like Caroline did the right thing and said, I'm out of here. Yep. I just don't want to be Absolutely. continually affected and drawn into this Oh, no, it's, a, it's like a Venus flytrap. Yeah. So once you can self-protect yourself, you really want to. Right. In this situation, if somebody really thinks that they have a question, are they exhibiting some of these signs or symptoms? Would they ever be in a situation where they would come to you and say, I think there's a problem? Um, Do you see people self-presenting with antisocial behavior or narcissism? Uh, 
Well, I've had many narcissistic patients, but I don't think anybody presented with that. They didn't come in and say, this is what's going on. No. What Did ha- they not recognize it? Well, a lot of times they don't because this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm my own world and I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the way I am. The thing is, usually it's other people. In other words, the courts, the police, the, uh, you know, or their family members that say, hey, you know. This guy has a problem or girl has a problem. Right. All right. Well, you know, I feel like I learned a lot today. I want to thank you for joining us again. We will have you back, I promise. Not and two sharing... and a half years. Don't, I don't want it to go two and a half years, Kathy. We'll see. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you, and we will be all supporting the Pledge Drive as it's coming up starting on Wednesday. And we will hopefully help to continue to be able to bring about this programming Monday live at 5 on The Body Show. We'll see you then.